Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode 52, The Mystery of Marriage, part 2. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show that tells you the secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And boy, are we talking about some secrets, huh? We are definitely talking about some secrets. (laughs) We've been talking about the mystery of marriage. Yes. And we're finding that there's more to marriage than meets the eye. Oh yeah, it's definitely not what they portray it to be on the television. Exactly. And you know, for... In case anybody ever wondered about it, almost nothing that you watch on television is probably true. Yes. It's going to be a distortion of the truth. But we found out that Paul referred to marriage as a great mystery because he says the husband is a picture of Christ. Yes. In a relationship with his church. The wife is a picture of the church in that same relationship. And he said it's a great mystery. So we're seeing that the husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church completely self-sacrificing, giving himself for her, that he might present her without spot or blemish. And we left off in part one talking about spot and blemish. Yes. And so while we can see that might relate to being sin, a spot as in a fault or blame, we also see that the lamb that was offered in sacrifice was supposed to be without spot or blemish. And a lamb can't sin. No. But it can have spots or blemishes. It can have a broken arm or, or leg, sorry. Lambs don't have arms. <laughs> Unless it's one of those chimera lambs. There you go. <laughs> like a centaur lamb, right? <laughs> you know, I like that commercial with the guy that's half motorcycle. Yeah. And, and he's like, and mm, I think I'll take these. It's pronounced motor. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, you know, even though it's just really comical and it's a cool commercial, it might be another way that we're being prepared for I hope not. I mean, hybrid things. Though that's comical, I don't think um, I can get on the bandwagon yeah. of... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just not for me. With, with advances in genetics and things like that, it wouldn't surprise me if we're being prepared to accept human mutations that are not fully human, you know. And I don't believe he's going to uh, meld them with a motorcycle or anything like that. <laughs> you never know. But robots, in a sense, are machine okay. humans, you know, so that's kind of coming. But anyway, so we saw the lamb uh, is without spot and blemish, and it's a picture of Christ in his sinlessness, but it's also a picture of Christ in his full humanity, Right. Because he was fully man and fully God. uh, But he's the only begotten son of God. He was conceived of a woman, fully human in that sense. Mm -hmm. Now, if we talk about the lamb for a moment, we go all the way back to the book of Exodus. And we'll come back to this uh, thing about genetics in a moment. 
But Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, is the law about eating the Passover feast. You've heard the term Passover. Yes. Okay. So it's a Jewish feast, and they celebrate their deliverance from Egypt in bondage. And in verse 5, it says of Exodus 12, your lamb shall be without blemish, the lamb that they're going to kill and cook for the Passover meal. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. By the way, the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar, when the Passover lamb was killed, is the day Jesus was crucified. Really? He's the lamb of God. Okay. So they killed the Passover lamb in Jesus in addition to the actual meal, you know. Wow. The, the timing was perfect. And it says in the evening, and Christ died in the evening of the day when he was crucified. And it says, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. And the whole point of that was uh, they weren't supposed to let anything remain till the morning. Uh, if there was any leftovers, they were to burn it up. And so the roasted lamb, it had to be roasted, couldn't be fried or boiled or whatever had to be roasted, a picture of Jesus in hell, suffering for us for sins, okay? So you see the type in the lamb is very specific. Yeah. And how it was fulfilled in Christ and his death at Calvary. Why weren't they allowed to have leftovers? Uh, because there was nothing remaining of Christ. He rose from the dead fully, and there were no parts left in the grave. Okay. He came back fully alive and was born again from the dead. Okay. Without spot or blemish, right? Uh, only difference is Christ actually has the scars from the nail prints, you know. He's the only imperfect body in heaven because he remains with the scars of his sacrifice for us. Why is that? I think it's a reminder. It's an eternal reminder. It, the scar for him is a badge of honor, right? But for us, it's a reminder of yeah. his sacrifice for us. That's, that's a beautiful picture to me in a sense. Now, the word spot is the Greek word spilos, not here in Exodus, but it's used in the Pauline passage that we read from the beginning of this whole series about the mystery of marriage. And spilos means a stain or blemish. It could be a defect. It could also mean disgrace, and it's translated as spot. So now we're getting into something that ties more into the Hebrew idea. We could talk about spot or blemish as faults or sins, but we can also talk about the physical attributes of the lamb not having speckles or spots or broken legs as Christ was perfectly sinless and the church being perfectly sinless, but not having a blemish or defect. Well, what would be a blemish or a defect for the church? Sins are paid for. Christ already died for sins. So we've been forgiven all trespasses. Yeah. We may stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards for the work done or loss of reward for the work done, but that's not a blemish or a defect. That's, oh, well, you didn't do a great job here, but you'll get a crown for this. But over here, you didn't do such a good job, so there's no crown for that. Yeah. And it's not like we're going to complain about it. We're going to be thankful to be there anyway. Mm -hmm. So spot or blemish, and then wrinkle was another word Paul used, and it's the Greek word ritus. And a wrinkle is just what you think it would be, a fold in the skin. 
It's a drawing together, especially on the face. So that's physically manifested, right? <laughs> We're both touching our faces, <laughs> feeling for wrinkles, right? So for example, you could commit a sin, and I wouldn't know it to look at you. But you can look at me and see my wrinkles, and there's no hiding that, right? <laughs> so there's a difference between that which can be outwardly manifested and mm -hmm. something I can do in secret. Yes. Right? Okay. So... Last week, I talked about 2 Peter, and we were going to go there, but I had to read something else first. So this time, we are going to go to 2 Peter chapter 2, because Peter uses the terms spots, wrinkles, blemish in connection to the church, but also in connection to some people who infiltrate the church. Interesting. So watch this. We'll go to chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, but there were false prophets also among the people. Back in the ancient Israel, there were false prophets. Mm -hmm. And what did they teach? They, ta they taught bad doctrine. Yes. And they convinced the people to turn from God and worship other gods. Yes. They idols. Idols. Angels. Mm -hmm. Gods are angels, the fallen angels. So there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And by you, he means the church. And in particular, he's talking about Israel's church that's going to go through tribulation. So it's a tribulation passage. The timing of this is the seven years of tribulation. He says, there'll be false teachers among you who privily, secretly with a bad intent, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So these false teachers are going to be destroyed for what they do. Mm -hmm. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, their destructive teachings, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, the love of money, shall they with feigned words, deceitful words, make merchandise of you. They're going to sell you out. Yeah. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Now, they're going to be judged for what they do, but it says, of a long time lingereth not. So the idea is this has been coming a long time. God has planned to judge these individuals for a long time. Well, how long? If they're false teachers, I mean, there's a lot of bad people that are going to be judged. Mm -hmm. And there's bad people from the beginning, I guess, like Cain. Yeah. And there's bad people today. But this is specific now, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's not going to sleep much longer. So their judgment is coming. Well, who are these people? Who are these false teachers he's talking about? With the very next verse, he brings up Genesis chapter 6. He says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, the total of eight in his family, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. Uh, excuse me, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So remember, why bring up Noah and the angels that sinned for the future time? Yeah. Judging these false teachers whose judgment lingereth not of a long time. It's as if to say they're connected somehow. How so? Well, that's what we got to figure out. Right? 
And then the next verse, uh-huh. and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Now, people think of Sodom and Gomorrah as the ungodly sins they committed were homosexuality. Yes. But he ties it into angels that sinned in the very verse before that. Yes. So what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah may be more than what we thought. Mm -hmm. Okay. Either way, we know angels took daughters of of men to wife Mm -hmm. and had hybrid things with them. And we know that the men of Sodom wanted the men that came to visit Lot and they were angels. Yes. We're talking about having sexual relationships with angels here. Mm -hmm. That's what was going on. And he says, God knows how to judge them. He knows how to judge these false teachers. That's the whole point Peter's making here. He delivered just Lot, just meaning he was a righteous man living in a bad city, delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, among these wicked men, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So he's making a point that Lot is kind of a picture of the church being redeemed out of the world, delivered by God, in the midst of wickedness that we have yet to even comprehend. Yeah. Like it happened back in those days. It's going to get, if it was so bad, God had to destroy the earth with a flood or burn up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. And yet men do horrible things now, but it doesn't involve genetic manipulation. No, it doesn't. Murders, robberies, thieveries, uh, um, kidnappings, rapes, all that, abuse, all that is horrible. But God doesn't destroy the world for that. He destroyed the world for genetic intermingling. Yeah. He destroyed a city for the attempt at genetic intermingling Mm -hmm. because we don't know what relationship a man with a male angel would produce. We don't know what that could do. And God burned that whole thing up. See, so I once heard a preacher say, if God doesn't destroy the city of San Francisco because of the homosexuals, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. That's not why he burned it down. That's the problem. See, this preacher doesn't know his Bible. Yeah. He doesn't understand what was happening there. He's pointing the finger in the wrong direction. Yeah, and that's yeah. why a lot of people stray away from God is because of people not really understanding the Bible. Yeah, self-righteous condemnation as a result of mm-hmm. it, right? Okay. Now, he says, uh, continuing on, since God knew how to judge those angels in that time, the Lord knows how to judge these false teachers of the last days. What is it about these false teachers? Who are these people? The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them, so all men that are unjust are going to be punished. Okay. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Now, we have to remove from our minds the government of the Americans state yeah. or the British state or the Chinese state or the Nigerian state or Brazil or whatever. It's not human government he's talking about here. He's talking about God's kingdom. And what does he mean by chiefly them? Chiefly them, mainly. If if he knows how to punish all wicked humanity, especially the ones here. Okay. 
these particular ones, chiefly these, which he says, walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. What is running around being a, a loose guy, sleeping with a lot of women, have to do with despising government? That guy probably wants to avoid any connection to the government, yeah. right? <laughs> so he doesn't have to pay child support yeah. or something, right? So what does this lust of uncleanness have to do with? He goes on. Presumptuous are they. Self-will. Doesn't that sound like Yoda? Presumptuous are they. <laughs> Self-will, they are not. Um, afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, dignities is the word doxa, which is like glory. And it has to do with angels. In glory, and us too, when we go, when we're in glory. So they are not afraid to speak evil indignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Why bring up angels yeah. being greater in power and might? I think he's talking about these false teachers are going to be hybrids, like the Nephilim of Genesis 6. They may not be giants. And they may not be produced the same way. Mm -hmm. It may be that mankind has genetically become so inferior as a result of sin over the many, many years from the time of Adam to now that an angel can't just take a wife and reproduce a child like they did back then. Yeah. Maybe sin has corrupted our genetic code to the point where they have to do experiments to make what they're after, to create a human hybrid in a lab instead of just having a single relationship, you know? Okay. okay. Verse 12, but these as natural brute beasts, he called them false teachers. Now he's calling them brute beasts as though they're not really human. Yeah, I was going to say, they definitely have something to do with Satan. And it says made to be taken and destroyed. They were, in other words, no redemption. Nothing about this seems to be a person that could be saved. And, and only humans can be saved. Yeah. All right? And shall, these, uh, they speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Now, so far we're getting of a picture of something that's slightly worse than human, or more than human, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't you get that impression? These yes. false teachers, compared to the angels of Genesis 6, compared to the sin that the men wanted to participate with angels in Sodom and Gomorrah, called brute beasts, and their judgment has been a long time waiting, a long time coming, and then he says, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. Yeah. They've infiltrated the church. They're feasting with them. They're yeah. having dinner. All right? Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Cursed children. Remember Canaan? Yes. He was cursed. We think he was a hybrid. That's right. Didn't, wasn't he like a... A giant. I was like... He was a giant, and the land of Canaan was filled with giants. Mm -hmm. And we think he was a giant, too, because Noah cursed him instead of his son, Ham. Yes. Who might have been pure, but maybe Ham's wife had some angel DNA, and maybe it was a recessive trait, because the giants that came later after the flood were smaller in stature than the giants before. 
And they weren't called Nephilim. They were called Rephaim. And Goliath, mm-hmm. you've heard of, and Og of Bashan we talked about, yes. were from that genetic, somewhat diluted human mm-hmm. angel DNA giants. He says, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, being beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam taught the children of Israel how to worship idols, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. That sounds like a funny thing in the Bible. But what he's talking about was Balaam was told by God not to go do what he was hired to do, and he went anyway. And the donkey he was riding on saved his life three times from an angel about to cut his head off. Balaam couldn't see it, but the donkey could. And so after the third attempt, he started beating the donkey because the donkey kept straying off the path. And the donkey turned around and spoke to him and said, don't you realize I'm trying to save your life? (laughs) And he began to talk back to him. If a donkey talked to you, you'd probably faint. I'd be like... Or run in fear, you know? I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be rich. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that's what he's talking about. That scene actually happened. And then he says... These, we're still talking about the same people, the false teachers, are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption." For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. And I think he's talking about when they appear, they might be either the fallen angels in alien spacecraft trying to make you think you can be like us, and they're going to have some of their genetically altered hybrids to say, see, look at them, you can be like that. Mm -hmm. And they're going to allure you and tantalize you to take the mark. If you do this, you'll be better than human. You'll be transhuman. And if you look up transhumanism, Google it the next chance you get. Okay. You'll be shocked at what you find. There's an entire group of people trying to help us evolve past humanity to something different. Transhuman. Transhuman. And ultimately, posthumanism is what they're after. Look those up. Transhumanism and posthumanism. And I'm telling that to you and all of our listeners. Now, if we back up to verse 10, same chapter... He said, chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. And then he says, these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Okay. They were presumptuous. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They don't mind cursing heaven. They have no fear of God. Like fallen angels. Yeah. Like the giants in the days of corruption. And that's what they did. They became so evil and corrupt. They, they were actually eating man, mankind at some point. They cannibalized humanity at some point. Wow. That's how bad they were. Now, the interesting thing is, after all this, you could say, eh, you're reading too much into that, Pastor, because, yeah, you're maybe speculating a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, then there's another book in the Bible called the book of Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation. All these books are right about the end time. So if we go to the book of Jude, there's only one chapter. Jude writes as though he's saying the exact same thing. Yeah. It's almost as though Jude and Peter compared notes, right? (laughs) So we'll start in verse four. 
He says, for there are certain men crept in unawares. You didn't realize they were crept, crept in. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Remember, we kind of read something about that in Second yeah. Peter. Uh, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And lasciviousness is like a wanton sexual lust thing. So everything is tied to like a distorted sense of sexual identity. Yeah. It's a sinful approach to sex. What are they doing? Verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, the Exodus, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And he destroyed them with plagues. Moses and the plagues of Egypt, which are coming in the book of Revelation. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, the spiritual realm, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. What angels are he talking about that left their first estate? Yeah. The ones who sinned and took daughters of men. They came down to become mortal so they could procreate and have children. That was a sexual deviance of away from what God wanted. He created man, male and female, to produce offspring. He never intended angels to mix with human DNA. What happened were monsters, giants, chimeras, what have you, because they did it with animals, too. They, I don't know if they physically had a relation with them, although God warned them about bestiality. A woman or man that lies with a beast shall be put to death. Okay, so maybe they learned it from them, or maybe they did it through technological means in a test tube to make centaurs and dragon-headed yeah. bird men or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like you look at all the Egyptian gods, and there's Anubis with the dog head, the jackal head. Yeah. And there's Ra with the eagle head mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. Maybe, and like there, was, wasn't there someone with a cat? Or? There might have been, but there's all kind of chimeras. And it's possible that they weren't just drawing pictures of what they imagined, but they were drawing pictures of what they worshipped and saw. Because back in like Egypt, animals were very, they were seen as very powerful, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And well, they worshipped as gods. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and you see the Sphinx is a part man, part lion, right? Yeah. A chimera. So he mentions Egypt. Then he mentions the angel that sinned. There's a connection. And then he says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, he's bringing up the same things Peter did. Yeah. Talking about certain men, which Peter called false teachers, uh, giving themselves over to fornication, sexual worship of idols, and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's why I brought up that thing about men making the Sodom issue being all about homosexuality. It wasn't men with men. It was men with angels. Yeah. Strange flesh. I don't care whatever else sinful thing they were doing. They were sinful men, so they, who knows? Yeah. They were probably abusing children. There's no telling what they were doing. I'm not trying to give anybody a scapegoat for sins between human and human. Yeah. I'm just saying that what they were doing in particular, they wanted to have relations with the angels that came to deliver Lot. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. 
Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. Right? He says, likewise, also these filthy dreamers. So he brings up the same scenarios that Peter did about judgment and angels and wrath and sexual licentiousness with these men. Certain men, false teachers... Here they're called filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh, despise dominion, hate government, God's government, uh, and speak evil of dignities. The same phrase Peter used. Speak evil of God's sons, God's people. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not, dared not, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. The point being, Michael's the archangel of God. He was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And he did not say, damn you, Satan, I'm going to kick your whatever. He said, the Lord rebuked thee. Michael was more powerful, but he didn't dare rebuke the devil because he knew better than to do that because God has anointed him for a purpose. Even though he's evil, he was created the anointed cherub Yeah. from the beginning. So these don't have that kind of fear or wisdom like Michael does. So they're not pure angels. They've got, they've got the com- combination of angel arrogance and mankind arrogance. So God made... So basically, you said his name was Michael, correct? Michael. Okay. The archangel. I was thinking Mike this whole time. Michael. He never once disrespected... Satan, even though Satan has disrespected God. Yes. Michael wouldn't even disrespect one of God's created beings. As powerful as he was, and he's going to destroy the devil eventually, he wouldn't dare disrespect him unless God says, now it's your time to go throw him in the lake of fire. Okay. Okay. But these beasts that Jude is describing don't even have that kind of wisdom or restraint. Michael could destroy these guys in a heartbeat but he wouldn't even dare bring an accusation against Satan himself. These guys are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, of angels. Yeah. So that's what I mean. There's something about them. They're worse. They're the worst combination of angel and man. He says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, what they know naturally as brute beasts. The same word again in Jude. And those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they've gone in the way of Cain, Cain slew his brother and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. That was the donkey guy. 
and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. In the gainsaying of Korah, that was a man that wanted to have the same authority that Moses had. And he said, why should we follow you? And Moses said, okay, we'll see who the Lord called to be lead this people. If I'm not the leader, may the earth open up tomorrow and swallow up you and all your family. And it did. (laughs) (laughs) Opened up and all of them fell straight into hell. Wow, that's so fun. Now he says, these men are spots in your feast of charity. Spots, blemishes, wrinkles. They're with you. Spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. Do you get the picture of what's going on here? They infiltrate the church and hide among them. God wants to present his church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Yeah. He wants us to get rid of those creatures. Those posers. The posers, yes. Tears among the wheat. Mm -hmm. Tears a weed, but it looks like wheat until it grows. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Peter said the same thing. Carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. And then this is the one that gets me. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You know what stars are like in the Bible? Remember we talked about this? All I can think of is the morning stars. Angels. The morning stars, wandering (laughs) stars. Yeah. They left their course. Mm -hmm. Angels sinned. They have hybrid, and here's their offspring, infiltrating the church to turn them away from the truth of Christ. That's what it is. So false teachers may may also be just humans, but these appear to be hybrids. Okay. In the last days. So false teachers would be like pastors that are preaching that Solomon Gomorrah got burned down because... Gay people. Or anything that they say that's contrary to the truth. Mm-hmm. They're false teachers if they're not teaching their truth according to the word of God. Okay. And if they're trying to just get your money and get your tithe and not preaching the truth, you know. So, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now, my whole point about this is saying that there's something, if the great mystery of marriage is that Christ is the head of the church, husband should love his wife in the same way, keeping her pure, Christ is trying to keep the church pure. We're trying to, the sanctity of marriage is under attack by Satan because he's trying to get rid of the idea that procreation should be between a man and a woman so we can open ourselves up to the ideas of procreating with other species. Okay. Angels. Now, how does that tie in? You're really stretching that, preacher. Well, he said (laughs) in verse 12, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you. So they're among them at the time. They're feasting with them. And in verse 13, he said, raging waves of the sea, wandering stars. So there's something angelic, fallen angelic about them, okay? Now, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is where a lot of people have taken Paul, the apostle, to be a misogynist, as if to say, you know, he didn't like women, because he never married. Well, just because he didn't marry didn't mean he hated women. Yeah. Okay. But he uses the, in fact, he uses the analogy of husbands and, the, and their wives as Christ loving the church. Mm-hmm. So he used a great deal of affection for women and men treating them properly because it's a reflection on Christ when, when we do that. So he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, I am jealous over you, the church, with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you, that's the word betrothed, like I'm trying to bring you to your husband. I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 
You know, in other words, he, you know, the, the husband wants his wife to be a virgin, right? Yeah. That's the ideal. Well, that, where does that come from? Well, it came from this picture. It comes from the clean church without spot or blemish pictured in the wife, mm-hmm. the chaste virgin, okay? And then in Romans chapter 7, he talks about when we are saved and in Christ, it's like we were married to the law, which kept us in bondage, and now we're married to another. So he says, know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, the Moses law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he live. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So really, instead of there being divorce, what was acceptable was if you were married to a man and he died, it was okay for you to marry another man. Because under the law, he's dead, so you're dead to your husband. Okay. You can, you're free to marry another man. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So he uses that as a picture of us in Christ. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. He's like the old husband that died. That you should be married to another. To who? Even to him who is raised from the dead. That we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh... The motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So we're now under the New Testament, but we're also under a new life, a spiritual life. And that life is free from the law of Moses. It doesn't mean we can run around and break the law. It means that we're now married to Christ. We're the body of Christ. We are his church. Mm-hmm. So we should serve him out of love and appreciation. Okay, we're free from the law of sin. Now, here comes the big controversial verse that people don't like. But I think in hindsight, we're going to find out why. 2 Timothy chapter 5. Or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And notice verse 21. Actually, this isn't the verse that people don't like. <laughs> <laughs> this is a verse that's going to make the case for the one I'm about to read. Okay. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. I'm taking it slightly out of its context to just show you that he's saying, I'm charging you, I'm giving you this commandment before God the Father, before the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Now, elect means chosen. So why bring up the angels? Are they watching, Timothy? Maybe. Maybe. Think about this. Angels are called sons of God. Mm -hmm. Okay? They're created beings. And God made them. Some of them rebelled. But the others stayed true to him. Then he created man. And we, and Adam was the son of God. He was created from the dust of the earth. The rest of us have all been born. Right? And we lost that connection because of sin. But when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a child of God again. Do you realize you have ancient brethren that you're going to be reunion, uh, have a reunion with? You know who those ancient brethren are? No. The angels. That's your family. They're the sons of God. 
by creation. Yeah. You're a daughter of God by adoption through Christ. I knew I was adopted. You are. (laughs) 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 Yeah, maybe not in your real family. But in your spiritual family, we're adopted through Christ. So we're someday going to be joining our family, all of us. He's going to gather together one all things in Christ, both in heaven and on the earth. Well, the angels are part of our family. Yeah. Do you think they have an interest in what happens in your life? I would say so. I mean, just like your brothers or sisters would, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully they care about you. Right? Okay. And in a, but in a sense, they've been around for millennia. We don't know when the angels were created. They could be millions of years old. I wouldn't doubt it. And now they're waiting for you to come join them in the family. Oh, I thought, I'm like, don't wait for me to be a million years old. That's not going to happen. <laughs> no, they're waiting for the rapture. Okay. They're waiting for the end of the sixth day. We don't know when that is, but I feel like it's so close, but then it's so far away. And I do too. Okay, now we go to the verse. So 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So Paul writes to the church in verse 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. He's our leader. Mm-hmm. And the head of the woman is the man. Now that's the one that feminists don't like because they're not getting the picture. Why was the man to be the head of the woman? Because he is a representation of Christ and the woman is a representation of the church. Exactly right. And in connection to the angels, he's her protector. Yeah. What Adam should have done with Eve, but he didn't, we're called to do now. To love our wives as Christ loved the church. Protect her from fallen angels. Yeah. To not be used because the seed of the woman was to bruise the head of the serpent, right? He says, uh, the head of Christ is God. So God, the father, Christ, the man, and the woman in the spiritual hierarchy of the way God laid it out. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonored his head. There's a symbolism picture there. It's an ancient custom, but it's used by Paul. Mm -hmm. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovereth, uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all as if she were shaven. Uh, A shaven woman was a picture of a prostitute in those days. Okay. She shaved her head to serve in the priest as a priestess in the temple of the gods, of the idols. But um, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. And that's where the idea of a head covering came. Not a face covering, just a, a veil on the head. Okay. Uh, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. I'm not going to lie. I'm very confused right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay. That's why you're here, to to help me clarify. So because of the angels, what did angels do back in Genesis 6? They came down, took wives of the daughters of men. Why did they do that? What, What If Satan wanted to do that to infiltrate the bloodline and mess up the seed of the woman from being born, and the angels knew that there was a price to pay and they would end up in hell for that, what could possibly have enticed them to do that? Lies. 
Um, yeah, maybe but- Satan telling them that they'll become more elite gods or that they'll become more powerful than God. Well, even more visceral than that. It says oh. they saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Oh. Beauty. Beautification tempted them to come down. I mean, if they were ugly women, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I could see I, And that. I can't imagine there could have been an ugly person back then. Yeah. You know, with such perfect genetics. Right. I don't think there's ugly people now. Well, I use that in today's vernacular. <laughs> if you want to know the truth, right. yeah. Because <laughs> let's face it, <laughs> we're you know we're ain't none of us getting prettier <laughs> by the day. But what I'm saying is, if they had been unattractive creatures mm-hmm. to the angels, they wouldn't have been as tempted. But they were beautiful creatures to the angels, mm-hmm. so they were tempted. So the idea is the woman having power on her head, spiritual authority over her to protect her from the angels, who would, if they could get away with it, and evidently do, and plan to do so, come down again and try to... And I think they're doing it through abductions and things like that, possibly, in trying to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. Right? So that's what's confusing about it, is it's, it's something that we can't comprehend, because who can imagine an angel coming down to take a daughter for wife? You know? Yeah. I mean, we can't even imagine that. And yet, in the end times, we've seen there's these false teachers and certain men that there's something about them that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. So that's why Paul wrote these words in closing. And this is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Uh, with shamefacedness, that means like, you know, bashfulness, you know, not brazenly, like, like think of like a woman on the street, a prostitute. Okay. You know, I think of Donna Summer, bad girls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so shamefacedness means she shows some humility, okay. And sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So one of the people that wrote to me says, does this mean that Paul is saying women should never wear makeup and never put on nice dresses or anything? No, it's not that at all. It's the idea of dressing like provocatively. Dressing to be like a prostitute. Provoking another insurrection of angels. They're coming anyway. But evidently when they come, it's going to be because it's getting to the point where humanity will say, come on, you can have sex with all of us. Yeah. Humanity has so corrupted itself that they don't care anymore. And they're going to carry on in such a manner that they're going to try to make themselves more attractive for this thing to take place. That's what they were doing at the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Come on back. We want you to come intermingle with us again. And so he says uh, in verse uh, 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. He's talking about in the church, not in life. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and in the transgression. Notwithstanding, and here's the thing, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, no woman gets saved through having children. Yeah. We get saved through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But what does childbearing have to do? She shall be saved in childbearing. And he's talking about the coming wrath. If women stay true and men stay true to the human genetic makeup, Mm -hmm. 
the children that are born will remain human. Yeah. If she strays from that and gets involved in that temptation, then she'll be involved in the wrath and might be liable to take the mark of the beast and become transhuman, whatever. That's what this is talking about. Isn't that mind-blowing? It is mind-blowing. It, it, and, and the whole point of the women being silent and everything else was that so they wouldn't get involved in... If, if the fallen angels see these men don't have control, they're not being the spiritual leaders of, of their wives. They're not being loving them like Christ loved the church. Therefore, they're ripe for the picking. We can come in and deceive them like the serpent did. That's what they're looking for, the opening. And that's the whole idea. It's not that a woman isn't smart enough to see through it. Mm-hmm. It's that the angels are looking for the advantage. Yeah. To take advantage and bring about the ten kings. And ultimately the Antichrist, when Satan chooses that wife. That is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. So since we're out of time, I'll wrap it up quickly. Genesis 6, the angels came down. They took the daughters of men. The hybrids were born. Matthew 24, Jesus warned and said, before I come back, it's going to be like the days of Noah. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Mm -hmm. The only reference to marriage in Genesis 6 is the angels right? And so finally, in Daniel chapter 2, it talks about the final days and the last of the kings and the last kingdom. And it's the kingdom of the Antichrist. And in verse 43, it says, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another. They, who is they? It's the angels. And then you said this is the verse where cleave would mean something different. Right. So the word cleave there is mingle is havah, in Hebrew, and it means to come to pass or to become, like to come into being. They shall mingle themselves. They shall come to pass when they mix with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another. And it's slightly different. It's debag, but it's only used in this one verse, and it means to stick to. Mm -hmm. Genetically, it's not going to work. They're going to try. Yeah. It's not going to work. That's why I think they're going to have to use test tube type things to do it but evidently they're not going to last because there's not going to be time anyway because the lord's going to come back he's going to wipe it all away he's going to wipe it all out they're going to burn them up and he's going to restore righteousness and he's going to throw all of those angels into the lake of fire yeah into the bottomless pit so the mystery of marriage is that there's a lot more to it than people realize yeah god's trying to preserve not only his picture of christ's love for the church but the very spotlessness of the church, if you will, yeah, to keep it pure from the adulteration of fallen angel schemes, yeah, right? And that's why we should honor our women and protect them. Yes, you should. Because what can a man do to stop an angel? He couldn't stop it if he wanted to. But by the word of God, if he shows her the love that we're supposed to, and and he demonstrates the love of Christ, he'll teach her the word of God. Yeah. And she'll learn to be the kind of woman that God wants her to be. And he'll learn to be the kind of man God wants him to be. So Satan can't get an advantage. He can't put a wedge between them. Mm -hmm. Divorce, transgender stuff, rights of this and that, all that's a distraction. They, it's like, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Yeah. Look over here at this political fight. Don't you want us to have rights? Sure, everybody should have rights. Not realizing that what they're doing is trying to bring about yeah. this chaos and this confusion. So I'll stop there. 
Wowzers. Who would have known the mystery of marriage was don't have kids with angels. <laughs> That's about it in a nutshell, isn't right? it? Right. <laughs> and realize that angels are coming back to make a, a, a mess of mankind. Yeah. Like they did in the past. And you don't want to be a part of that. Nope. So if you see a beautiful man or woman, walk in the other direction. They aren't real. <laughs> there used to be a song called, If You Want to Be Happy for the Rest of Your Life, Don't Make a Beautiful Woman Your Life. Yeah, there you your go. Your wife, I mean, yeah, something like that. <laughs> and it was kind of, because she'll never leave you. If, if she's homely, she'll never leave you. There you go. You know? So maybe there's <laughs> something to that. There's something to that. I say listen to that. I must say, though, I didn't follow that admonition because I married a beautiful woman. Oh, stop it. I'm telling Miss Sandy. I know. She, I, I married up. I traded up, believe me, so no doubt about it. She got the, uh, the raw end of that stick. No. <laughs> but anyway, folks, we really appreciate you tuning in, and thanks for these questions that are provoking such great topics of conversation. We really love it. Keep them coming. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening, liking, and sharing, and subscribing, and please, please keep sending in questions. It really helps us us know what you guys are interested in listening to. You bet. Thank you, Zena, as always. Thank you for having me, as always. Y'all have a great week. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at UTBNow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.